The scripture reading this morning is from Jude, verses 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to, to come before you to look at this text, to to see what you have for us today. So, Lord, I ask that the words that are spoken do not be mine, but they would be yours. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Heath, and I'm part of the team here. I'm C2C Multiply Apprentice. Uh, For those of you who have seen me around but haven't been formally introduced, hi. (laughs) Hi. uh, I'm not sure. You know, ironically, I hate sports metaphors, but I'm going to use one anyway. So this is a first for me. So either I'm one of two things. I am the guy, you know, have you ever watched the World Series? I'm the guy, like the ace up the sleeve, the pitcher that comes in at the ninth inning to guarantee the win. You know, I'm like, or I'm the fifth stringer, I'm the bench warmer, I'm the water boy, and I come in when Canada's up 14 to nothing in Denmark when they're playing, you know, and I'm the guy that comes in to get, you know, after the win has already been guaranteed. I'll let you be the judge. But all joking aside, I take this very seriously. It's my joy to be here. We've just come through Christmas. We've just celebrated Advent and the, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now we, right now, we're kind of in the middle where it's not really the new year. Advent is past. Uh, you know, we're all have gained too much weight over Christmas and we've opened up our gifts and we're like, what's next? What do we have? So is there anything that we can say this morning that can actually help us approach the new year? So we're, ironically, we're going to speak out of Jude, probably one of the most obscure books in the uh, in the New Testament. Ironically, it's one of my favorites. Um, when, when was the last time you actually heard a sermon series based out of Jude? Anybody? Yeah. On the surface, Jude looks more like a 25-verse Facebook rant than it does an actual, you know, a poetic book full of wise sayings or a crafted epistle. Add to that, you've got a really, in the middle of it, you've got some obscure kind of scenarios, obscure people. You've got some things that kind of make you scratch your head. You know, on the surface, one would say, why is Jude even here? Why is Jude even here? So the question is, why why Jude this morning? Now, I would love to have a dialogue about the canonicity of Jude or why it's in the Bible. But safe to say, I will say this, that underneath this 25-verse rant is a beautifully crafted book by a guy who not only knew Jewish history, Jewish culture, but actually he knew Greek rhetoric and Greek language extensively well. So, we have a biblical letter. We've got a message written specifically for a context and a purpose. And it fits exactly with what we need to hear this morning. Ironically, I really love this book. If I, were to get, I don't have any tattoos, but if I were to get a tattoo, it'd be one of these verses that we deal with today. And I, I don't have tattoos. So, 
so what can I say? So let's get into the text before I ramble on even further. Jude, I'm going to read the text again, Jude 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating the garment stained by the flesh. As you can see, this text brings us in kind of mid-rant, so to speak. So by the time we get to this but at the beginning... You're wondering, okay, what's the context? Why is he saying this? So let's scroll up. If you're on your iPhone, you can scroll up and you can look at verses 3 and 4. Right at the beginning, he says this. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So, allow me to posture this a bit. Judah's writing kind of an internal memo here to a group of Christians, and he says, look, I wanted to, I wanted to say this. I wanted to tell you about our core values. I wanted to celebrate with you with our, our common purpose statement. I wanted to celebrate with you our vision. This common belief that Jesus came to earth as a man, that he died, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected. In him we have new life, but, but. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, or if you're kind of on the edge, this is actually a really cool thing for you. You know why? You get to see the inner workings, kind of how Christians deal with conflict. For lack of a better way of saying it, Judas saying, look, spies had gotten into the church. They'd snuck in, and, they, and through their actions, for their benefit, for their profit, they were actually changing the core of what it was to be a Christian and how we were to act in society. And they were doing this strictly for their benefit and for their sensual interests. Now, it's not an exact analogy, but, but just think. You know, the whole controversy during the U.S. election in 2016, there was this thing going around, and it's still a reality, that you know, foreign powers, foreign entities were kind of under the hood and tweaking the electoral numbers to guarantee an outcome. It's something similar. It's not exact. So Jude says, look, I wanted to celebrate with you, but I feel compelled to say to you this. Okay. I compel you to contend for the faith. To be vigilant. To fight for the truth of Jesus Christ that you heard, that you believed in right from the very beginning. And it hasn't changed. Now many of the authors in the New Testament deal with specific problems. The one that Jude deals with here isn't really a theological issue. It isn't really a... uh, It isn't a specific doctrine. But he actually deals with something very specific. Uh, to summarize, you know, if you look at verses 5 through 16, this is where all the weird stuff is. Go home and read it later this afternoon. It's kind of interesting. But to summarize, Jude says this. He says, look, these people, these infiltrators, they used and appealed to dreams and visions to justify their own sexual license and lifestyle. They became the arbiter of their own ethics. Two, they rejected the authority of Jesus Christ. They denied his lordship, and they appealed to their own authority 
and that that authority was internal and autonomous. And lastly, they did not surrender or acknowledge the justice of God. They denied that there were actual consequences to their actions. You know, like the great theologian, you know, Frank Sinatra, they said, I did it my way. The tricky issue is they didn't really deny specific doctrines, but rather, through their actions, they nullified the work and the life of Jesus Christ. They say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. But it was a wholesale denial via their lifestyle. Jude essentially says, they're hypocrites. The heart of the issue is this. They deny Jesus by the lifestyle that they engaged in. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? See, as we approach 2019, we need to pay attention to what Jude has to say here. He addresses, what he addresses is hauntingly accurate to the kind of social climate we breathe and the autonomous lifestyles we engage in. Jude's words, Jude's words, this internal memo, so to speak here, is powerful, it's convicting, and it speaks directly to what we have today. So when we finally get to the, but you must remember in verse 17, this is the backdrop. This is what we need to understand before we get rolling. So Jude says, look, we've got this infiltration, we've got this terrorist activity, and we've got three things that we need to do to contend. The first one is we are to be circumspect. The second, we are to keep. And lastly, we are compelled to a lifestyle of compassion. Okay, circumspect. Back, back to verses 17 and 19. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Now, be circumspect is to be cautious, is to be wary, is to be observant, to be on one's guard. Jude is reminding these readers not to be shocked or to be surprised that they were in the midst of a hostile takeover. He reminds them of the apostles, you know, the guys that walked around with Jesus. He reminds them that, that these guys actually foretold that this would happen. These types of people would infiltrate and distract you and do exactly what they were doing. They were denying the work and the power of Jesus. Judas telling them, look, he's telling us, be wary. Recognize them for who they are and what they're about. Now, these are divisive people. They live for themselves. Wolves in sheep's clothing, clothing to coin a phrase. Uh-huh. They are people not changed by the life and the work of Jesus Christ. They are autonomous individuals who say with their lips that I love Jesus, but deny his authority with their actions. Judas saying, open your eyes. Be wary. Don't be caught off guard when you encounter them. The last phrase in verse 19, it says, devoid of the Spirit, is kind of a key issue. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When I was a kid, I grew up in a fairly redneck area. You can't tell, huh? It was, now, close your eyes. Can you imagine a time before the internet? Can you imagine a time before GPS on your cell phone? Can you imagine a time before cell phones? Yes, it was the Dark Ages, and I, yes, I am that old. Okay, so imagine. Think of Mad Max. This is pretty much my childhood. This was the life and time that I grew up in. So my buddies, you know, when we were teenagers, my buddies and I, we would, we would uh, jump in my friend's 1954 six-wheel drive army vehicle. So imagine the kid's truck with an extra set of wheels, all-wheel drive, and painted out of something out of a Duck Dynasty episode. Okay, so imagine that. So we pile that sucker full of food, gas, and unfortunately explosives, and we would drive Friday night into the bush. 
We would head west. I grew up in Alberta. We would head west, and we would get ourselves lost Friday night in the Rocky Mountains. So when we woke up Saturday morning, we had no idea where we were at. So all day Saturday, we would spend time blazing through the mud holes, the swamps, the rivers, lakes. We'd blow some stuff up, and, you know, we would actually just having fun. And then at some point in the day, we realized we were going in circles, and we were completely lost. In our fun, we, we failed to kind of recognize where we were. So we actually, you know, it was getting dark. We actually needed to get home. So what did we do? We pulled out our map, and we pulled out our compass. Now, for those of you who have no idea what a map and compass is, okay, Google it later. Don't Google it now. So we would get these things out, and we would kind of outlay our light. Okay, there's east. We know home is east. And we would, we would drive in an easterly direction until we could figure out you know, on the map where the landmarks were. And then we go, ah, okay, then we were home. You see, what Judah's saying here is that these people, devoid of the Spirit, they're like a bunch of rednecks running around in the forest going in circles without an internal compass. They needed something outside of themselves to direct them. So when your life is empowered and changed by Jesus, He gives you His Spirit, His compass. Jude says, look, be circumspect, be cautious. Don't be surprised when you encounter people wandering around without a map and a compass. Don't be surprised when they tell you where you need to go. So the first way to confide, fight rather, is to contend. The first way to deal with this hostile takeover is to be circumspect. We need to understand what opposition looks like. We need to understand what hypocrisy looks like. Now, the second thing that Jude says we need to do is keep. Now, my background in training is that of an industrial electrician. You know, I'm not just premature gray. I've been around for a block a few times. Um, and my specific role was that of a systems analyst and a troubleshooter. You would call me. I would come. I would observe your machinery. I'd observe your workflow. I, and I would give you options on how to increase your efficiency, on how to best produce more things faster. Or you would call me, usually in the middle of the night. I would get up, and I would go, and I would have to come fix something. Usually, you know, it was in a really bad time and it was costing the company hundreds of dollars a minute for every downtime, every minute of downtime. So every single, every single job site I ever worked on, there was always this dichotomy. There, were, there, was a, there was this balance between preventative maintenance and panic maintenance. The guys who thought through things carefully, the guys who actually fixed problems before they came up, they were more profitable than the guys who didn't, who flew by the seat of their pants. No brainer, right? So what Judas is actually acknowledging here is that sometimes in the context of battle, fighting and contending can actually uh, sidetrack you and take you out of the game so you're actually not focused on the task at hand. So even in trying to deal with the problems, there's a very real risk that you take your eyes off the goal. And you're still like my redneck friends. You're driving around in circles in the bush. We, if any of you have ever been through a church split... You know what this reality is. Six months have gone and you have no idea what had happened. So Jude says to combat this tendency is to keep. Jude says that the second way of actually uh, contending is to uh, institute a preventative maintenance program. Okay, I know it's cheesy, but look at verses 20 and 21 again. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, 
waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The key imperative here is to keep. In verses 21, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Everything else stems from this idea of keeping. Jude says, here, we are to keep. And if you read through Jude, you'll notice that everything is in groups of three. Three is like a favorite number for him. So we have three things here in order to keep. There are words that we all know. Faith, love, and hope. Jude begins in verse 20 by saying, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Jude exhorts us to grow in an understanding of the gospel. Okay, what does that mean? Now, I remember a job I had to do as an electrician. I was in charge of assembling a massive machine that was at a heat treatment plant. Uh, Funny fact, this machine was used to heat treat mortar shells and, you know, screwdrivers and saw blades. Um, But when I saw this machine first, it was... It was a pile of junk. It was like a Frankenstein machine. It was three truckloads of machinery and a sea of red wires. And I was the guy that had to figure out how it went together and kind of make it work. Can you imagine? No blueprint, no idea. I'd never seen a heat treatment plant before, and I got to figure it out. So I stood there and I scratched my head. It took me eight months, but at the end of the job, I had the machinery working, and I developed a set of blueprints and schematics for the next guy to help come along because you know i was planning on leaving really and uh yeah problems exist so you need a, a blueprint and you need a schematic judah's saying here he says look the apostles have given you a set of schematics they gave you the blueprints to faith you need to immerse yourself in it you need to build yourself in it so much that you need to know it inside and out this blueprint changes your life it forms your identity And when problems arise, you know what to do because you understand the blueprint. You know how to act to fix the problem. The holy faith that Jude refers to is the blueprint that leads you to the truth of Jesus Christ. In a nutshell, it's this. We're like a pile of machinery. We're broken. We don't work. We're not alive. God loves mankind so much, he sends his sons to die on a cross so that we can actually have life. He dies so that we can be put together. If we don't know this blueprint of Jesus, we're just a bunch of used machinery not fulfilling its purpose and task. And we have this blueprint. We have it, this schematic of faith, of life. And it costs way more than 100 bucks an hour for eight months. It costs the Son of, son of God his life. This blueprint, the apostles' teaching, is found in what we call the Bible. Now, if you're not a Christian... And you've wondered why. Why do Christians put Bible verses on billboards? Why do they always talk Bible this, Bible that, Bible this? Well, this is why. The Bible is the schematic to faith, the schematic to life. Jesus took it, just as I took an old dead machine and I put it back together. Jesus died so that we could live. Jude says that this part of keeping is to immerse yourself in the blueprint of Jesus, to know him, to grow in him, to grow an understanding of him. And this changes your life. The second thing is to love. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith. Okay, we just talked about that. And praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We could go off on a real big, long tangent here. Someone who believes cannot keep without depending in God in prayer. The love for God cannot be sustained without a relationship that is connected in prayer. 
So one night, three in the morning, I get a panicked phone call from the guy running the Frankenstein machine. And he says, Heath, Heath, it's not working. It's not working. So I'm like, okay, is there power? Are the fuses okay? And he's like, what do you think I am? An idiot? Of course. So I get out of bed. I drive an hour and a half. I walk in there and the manager, he's running around like a squirrel looking for chocolate nuts. He's like, here, there, here, there. And I'm like, okay, calm down. So I walk over to the panel. I take my tester, open it up. Yep, fuse gone. Click, new fuse, open, start. Thank you very much. Five minutes and a thousand dollars later, we're all is well. Not kidding. The point is this. Just as the machinery is sustained by a connection to the electrical grid, it's got to be powered up to work. No brainer. So too are Christians. You need to be connected to God's love through prayer, through the Spirit. Jesus, by his death, by his resurrection, he actually fixes the circuitry. He makes this machine whole. He makes it complete. But it's God's Spirit that actually empowers us, that actually makes us operate. Keeping in love, keeping in love is like being plugged in. It actually makes the machine run. Love for God cannot be sustained without a relationship that is empowered through prayer. To be honest, I think we all struggle here. We can be honest there. Now, one thing I need to know, a note of caution here. Just like electrical machines have cautionary notes, this is a note of caution here. Just as you need to be plugged into work, reciprocally, if you plug stuff in that's not connected to the other end, if you power up something that's not meant to be powered up, you have the danger of really hurting people and probably blowing stuff up. Now, as much fun as it is to blow stuff up, um, from my experience, it's not fun to fix. I'm just going to be real here. If you claim to have spiritual knowledge, if you claim to have a revelation without being grounded in or around the blueprint of Jesus, if you say God told me to do this and it's different from what is actually written in the Bible, the scriptures, chances are you're plugged into the wrong thing and you're going to blow stuff up and around you people will get hurt. Love for God cannot be sustained without a relationship that is empowered through prayer. You have to be plugged into the right thing. So, we're built up in blueprint of faith. Then we're actually connected to the source of, of love. We're plugged in. The next part of the program is hope. Verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, Watching this machine was fun. Let me tell you, we had some fun times, you know, stuff, fireballs the size of a car. It was amazing. But it was actually a machine that had an intended purpose. It was used to harden steel. So you have, what happened was you have soft steel come in on one end. 28 hours later, you had hardened, useful tool parts come out the other end. Okay. So the, the operator, he, he didn't, you know, he wasn't just checking his Facebook feed for 24 hours. He was waiting, sure, but, but what he was doing, he was decked out in a flame-proof suit. He was constantly monitoring temperatures. He was transitioning parts from one chamber to the other. He was dialing in pressures for specific gases for tempering. You know, he was actually waiting, but he was actually waiting in action. He was active. He had the hope, he had the assurance that the stuff that he put in at one end, by the time it got to the cool-down phase at the end, it had the right metallurgical properties that the customer ordered. If the blueprint wasn't followed, if it wasn't connected right, or if you had a power failure, or if the operator was negligent, 
way too many cat memes. Parts came out the other end destroyed. See, we look back here to what Jesus has accomplished by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We are made new. We are fixed. We are plugged into God himself. But we also look forward to when he will come again. When he will restore all of creation. He will deal with all the injustice. He will deal with the brokenness that still exists. So that when we hit the other end, we, we're made new and we can see God face to face. We will be the finished part. Now, when Christians talk about heaven, this is what we're talking about. It's not some, you know, melodic existence playing a harp on the, on the stage. No, on a cloud, no. Jude says that those who take their eyes off of this future hope of heaven will find their love for God slowly evaporate. It will be evident that their love is really for these things of this world and our time and our place. So we get bogged down in life. We actually struggle and we self-medicate, don't we? Whether it's Netflix or narcotics. Because we don't actively hope. We're crushed by this present age because let me tell you, this present age is an evil mistress. We end up destroyed parts at the other end if we do not hope. So Jude's preventative maintenance program of keeping being built up in the blueprint of faith. It's being plugged into the source of love through prayer. And it's actively resting in hope that what is promised will actually come. When we understand this keeping, then we can actually deal with the next part of contentment. So, okay. Breath of fresh air to catch up where we're at. Jude says that to contend, we need to be circumspect. We need to keep, is what we just talked about. These two points revolve around kind of what we believe and who we are. The next point to address is what we do. Jude sums up that telling us that we need to actually engage in an active lifestyle of compassion. Look at verses 22 and 23. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating the garment stained by the flesh. Now, it's typical of Jude. He tells us three things here. He says that we are to show mercy to people's over a broad spectrum of unbelief. Now, to those who are struggling, to those who have not really capitulated, but they're really struggling, they're living a life of doubt, and they're asking you a thousand and one questions, we are to show mercy to them. If they're struggling, we're not to ignore them. We're not to write them off, but we're to be compassionate. And if you're there, if you're struggling and you're in doubt, that's okay. That's okay. Secondly, to those who are on the edge, We all have friends in our lives that are there. To those who it seems that the only road is down, we're not to give up on them. Because let me tell you, it's easy to give up on people like that who are struggling and seem to be going nowhere but good. We are to not give up on them because their lives can be salvaged. They're valuable. We are to snatch them out of the fire knowing full well that, you know, we're going to get singed a bit. And lastly, Jude says that to those who have capitulated to society, those who have been compromised in in different issues in their lives, even to those we are to show mercy. We are to show mercy mixed with fear, as Jude says, hating the garment stained by the flesh. Well, this really means showing love and mercy for people. But that doesn't exclude the hatred and fear of the sin that's enveloped their lives. We still need to show mercy. But this fear enables us to actually not be compromised by their own issues. Now, 
how do we actually do this? Let's be honest with ourselves. How do we do this when we doubt? How do we do this when we need mercy? How do we do this with our areas in our lives that we have capitulated and not have had hatred for our own sin? How can we possibly save others from the fire when we need saving? How do we not be hypocrites? Now, this is the absolute brilliant part of Jude's argument. And we miss this as modern readers. This phrase to the original audience would have been very clear and it would have been very understood, this snatching from the fire. Turn with me to Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And you have a vision of Zechariah the prophet. And he's speaking about Joshua the high priest. He has this vision. And this is the time hundreds of years before Jesus. And so we get this. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him this, Behold, I have taken your iniquity, your sin. I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. You see, Satan is standing to accuse Joshua. God says, no, I have snatched him from the fire. His garments stained by the flesh I remove. I give him new clothes. I make him clean and I will remove all his sin. Judas reminding us, his readers that we stand accused. And Jesus plucks us from the fire. By dying on a cross, he takes away our filthy clothes. He takes them on himself and he makes us clean. He takes away our stuff. All the consequences of our autonomy. But Jesus also rose from the dead and by doing so, he gives us power to show mercy on those who doubt because we have been shown mercy. Jesus' death enables us to snatch others from the fire because we have been snatched from the fire. And we can show mercy and hate the filthy garments because Jesus has done that for us. Jude says that if we truly believe in Jesus, your actions will reflect, reflect compassion as a response to what has been done for you. It's an inside-out thing. So in Vancouver, we're on the threshold of 2019. Jude's words here are poignant and they're powerful. In our age of autonomy, where truth is derived from within ourselves, in an age where I can say one thing and do another, Jude's words are a voice of reason in the confusion. We are to be circumspect. We are to keep. We are to live lives of compassion. And this is how we contend in a hostile takeover situation. This is how we can live without being a hypocrite. Now, as typical, we can respond in three ways. We can cower. We can go on as if nothing has changed in our lives. We can just understand the reality of Jesus. We can say, okay, that's good for me. Nah, I don't want to talk to anybody else about it. We can live our life of faith privately. But we resign ourselves to the margins of society. And in the end, we're swallowed up and don't contend. And we still, we become lost. Or... 
more dangerously, we can capitulate to society. We can be just like the people of Jude's day. We can say, okay, this belief here is antiquated. Eh, and quite possibly isn't relevant for us today, so let's jettison that. And over here, this is just metaphorical. We don't actually need to apply that to our lives here. We can go to church, we can say we're a Christian, and you can cheat on your spouse and your taxes and have no fear of consequences. We become the arbiter of our own truth, and instead of a blueprint of faith, in the end, we say we believe Jesus, but we deny him by our lifestyle. Jude has some really not very nice things to say about that. Summarized, Jude says, look, you're really not a believer. You're not a Christian. You're on the road to judgment. And lastly, we can contend. Just like Jude instructs us to, we can have your eyes open and be circumspect. You can keep, you can surrender your autonomy, be built up, be plugged in to have hope for the future, and you can live a life of compassion, all because Jesus has snatched you from the fire. So my question to you is how will you approach 2019. What's your choice? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.